Let's pray. Father, open our minds and hearts and make us eager to hear from you and to understand how you would have us think and feel and live and that you might give us your spirit that by his power we might live this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a sermon about refusing false worship. Daniel 3 begins, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Nebuchadnezzar's herald proclaims, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, this is a crisis, an immediate crisis, for Jews like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because the most fundamental demands of God upon them are outlined in the first and second of the Ten Commandments, which say, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Uh, These guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, can't hide at the back because enemies take the chance to denounce them. Your Majesty, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, Your Majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God you have set up. And just like that, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are being put on the spot by an angry king. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Is this true? Now, this chapter may have its curious and comical way of telling the story with these long lists of horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and all kinds of music the satraps and prefects and governors and advisors and treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the provincial officials. These may be kind of curious and perhaps comical, but the story deals with a deadly, serious and very real issue. At stake is a ruler who demands false worship and is going to punish non-compliance. And the question is, how is a believer to conduct themselves in this situation? Let's investigate. Now, nations or empires need unity. And rulers need to kind of weld their subjects or citizens together to bind them to acknowledge and express loyalty to this state, to this empire, and to its authorities and its norms. To become an Australian citizen, uh, at a citizenship ceremony, you must make a pledge. Here is the form, the first form of the pledge. From this time forward, under God, I pledge my loyalty to Australia and its people, whose democratic beliefs I share, whose rights and liberties I respect, 
and whose laws I will uphold and obey. But nations can take this need for unity and cohesion and common commitment, they can take it too far. They can try to bind their nation together using false worship by coercing their people to worship the national spirit or the state ideology or the great ruler or whatever else they may choose. Nazism did this. You know, the German people, so it was argued, served God by embracing the national character and destiny that he has given them. And the German people embrace their natural, national character and destiny by serving the Fuhrer, who is God's instrument to embody and enact this character and destiny. Communism does this. The, re- the revolution to establish the communist society is the great cause which must supersede all other loyalties. And those leading this cause may dictate all the acts and conditions necessary for citizens in order that we may together reach this goal, the communist society. And so religion must submit itself to this larger good of the revolution or be opposed, be eradicated. Nebuchadnezzar did this. In his mind, the gods of Babylon ensue, sorry, ensure the peace and security of his realm. And so he says, I must see to it, I must see to it, that they are honoured by all who hold office in this empire. And so give them honour, satraps. Give them honour, magistrates and judges. Give them honour in this act of self-prostration before their image. Now, biblical faith is built on refusing such idolatries. The Lord is the one God, the creator of heaven and earth. He is peerless. He is God alone. The Babylonian gods are not gods, not to be worshipped. The communist ideology does not have a greater and truer claim on us than the Lord does. God does not deal with us through some national spirit or national character and destiny, but through his son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel, Jesus Christ calls us to trust him, to receive his spirit, to worship him, to regard him as the Lord. Now, apart from the idolatries that Nebuchadnezzar established or the Nazis or the communists, other idolatries have been and will be and are being established. And it's always a challenge for believers to refuse idolatry, to refuse false worship. But this can be costly, especially if you're faced with an ultimatum like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego got from Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, in Daniel 1, if you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, the Judean youths are able to negotiate an arrangement so that they did not need to eat the king's food and therefore they could avoid defiling themselves. But negotiation does not seem to be an option here in Daniel 3. 
Uh, if you were here last week in Daniel 2, the Judean youths get out of their scrape by giving the king what he wanted. What did he want? He wanted someone to tell him his dream and what it meant, and Daniel was able to do that. But here in chapter 3, they cannot give the king what he wants without compromising their deepest commitments. And so to stay true to God, they must defy the king and presumably die. They demonstrate their commitment to God. They find the courage and the faith to defy Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, to his face. Nebuchadnezzar asks, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answer, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But they say a bit more than that to make it clear that they would serve the Lord whether or not they live. If it cost them their lives, they would do the same. But even if he does not, they say, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is a noble, dignified, admirable refusal, a principled stand to prefer to obey God and die than to disobey him and live. This is a profound expression of faith. To assert so boldly that God would deliver them, he would deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now, how do they get to this point? Well, I presume this is the fruit of a life spent cultivating loyalty to God in small acts as well as this great one. This is the fruit of a life spent avoiding idolatry of all kinds, whether expressed in small ways or great. And so I think we can ask ourselves, are we in preparation for a moment like this one that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego faced in Babylon? Are we in preparation spiritually for a moment where we could act and speak with such faith, such courage? How can you prepare for such a moment, such a demand? Well, we need to attend to our hearts. We need to ask ourselves, what builds my trust in God and what erodes it? How can I get more of what builds that trust and orients me to God and encourages me to know him, to love him, to trust him, to serve him? How can I get more of that? And how can I counter those things that erode trust, that drag me away, that suggest alternatives, that undermine faith? What habits of reading or singing or prayer or conversation do I practice in order to strengthen my faith and loyalty to God? What issues and questions do I need to tackle so that I can be clear on who I believe in and why? What bad influences should I avoid? Because I know that they're just going to turn my head, drag me away, weaken my connection with God. What idolatries do you need to refuse? Perhaps uh, the idolatry of greed, so New Testament explicitly named, that trusting in riches, Jesus had plenty to say about this, is a form of idolatry that we must refuse. 
But perhaps today we can think rather of the idolatry of being like everybody else, the idolatry of going along with the zeitgeist, the modern spirit, just going with the flow. There's this kind of idolatry in that. Because you can say, I'm a Christian, but, you know, just as much I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to stand out. I want to be a modern middle-class Australian. I want views that fit in comfortably I want a lifestyle that everyone else understands and can think, oh, it's just fine. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be awkward or angular or unpopular. Because it doesn't really require a death threat to get people to conform. Mostly mild disapproval will do the trick, will get us in line. Being thought odd or backward, is at times too much to endure for a lot of us, let alone a blazing furnace. However, the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were not timid. They were full of the power of God, They were full of love for God and they were full of the self-discipline that brought them to the point of martyrdom. If you and I are going to be able to defy the Nebuchadnezzars of our time, we need to be able to cope with not being like everybody else. And God gives us his spirit to make us actually not like everybody else, to enable us to achieve this refusal of idolatry. Okay, let's finish the story. The furnace, into the furnace. Here's uh, here's Isaiah 43, a prophetic word of comfort. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass Through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were not alone as they tumbled into the furnace Astoundingly, Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The Lord sends his angel to walk with, to protect and deliver Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in and from the furnace blast. And perhaps this is an insight, a narrative and pictorial, a story insight into what actually God always does when his people are martyred. I don't mean that they don't die, that they, you know, you chop their heads off and their heads just pop back on and they go on with life. I mean that God's angel walks with them in their death and that they will emerge unharmed from that death at the resurrection. The miraculous deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is part of Nebuchadnezzar's education. For not only is God 
the revealer of mysteries, but he is also able to deliver from the king's hand and the king's furnace. This Nebuchadnezzar learns in no uncertain terms. But Jesus teaches us the same lesson over and over again, well, over again, that God is able to rescue from any power, from any hand, even even the grave. Before hostile authorities, Jesus will not deny that he is God's Messiah, although this costs him his life. And Jesus is not delivered from the cross. The Wayanars do not pop out and he drifts gently to earth. No. He suffers death and is buried. And yet the angel rolls the stone away on the third day and he emerges, not only unharmed, but transformed. Perishable humanity has put on imperishability. And in Jesus' experience, we see the future of all believers. As we are shortly to confess, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So in the last analysis, we can then say with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Power even to defy the kings, to refuse false worship, no matter how coercively we're pushed towards it. The spirit of God gives us love, love enough for the Lord to give up our lives for him. The Spirit of God gives us the self-discipline to cultivate our hearts for such moments and to begin by being different to everybody else and being willing to be different, not just like everyone else. Shall we pray that God would give us this Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that uh, Daniel 3 teaches us that you are able to save and you do um, walk with your people, your faithful people, uh, even in the worst of trials and circumstances. And so may the spirit that animated Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and enabled them to refuse idolatry and false worship, may that same spirit animate us and give us the power to stand faithful to the Lord, the love to give our lives for him and the self-discipline to cultivate ourselves for this way of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.